the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Well, good evening and welcome to week five of our series, Back Behind the Front Line. Well, during our morning services, we've been exploring what our lives should look like as followers of Jesus when we're scattered and apart from each other during most of the week, when we're living amongst family, friends, work colleagues, neighbours and strangers, many of whom do not know or worship the Lord Jesus. And in parallel, during these evening sessions, we've been exploring what our lives should look like as followers of Jesus gathered together in community as we spend time together here at Belmont in the building, in our home groups, or less formally, just meeting up and enjoying time together. Well, some of you know that I'm a former secondary school teacher, and there are times when watching the news or following social media, I really miss teaching government and politics A-level. Now, one of the modules used to examine the role of the Prime Minister, and I'm sure recent lessons would have touched on the reported behaviour of Boris Johnson and his staff. Although the detailed investigation report has still not been published, I'm well aware that many people are angry that the Prime Minister's words to the nation and his actions with his work colleagues appear to have been out of sync. Whilst the Prime Minister told us all to follow the rules and regulations in order to save lives, he and his staff perhaps uh, did not follow their own rules. Whilst ordinary people prioritise the lives of others by following the rules, it appears that some of those in government may have prioritised themselves. To put it simply, it looks like their words and their actions did not match. Now interestingly, when we read 1 Timothy, we find that this same problem was one of the issues Paul and Timothy were also facing in Ephesus. Listen to Paul's words in 1 Timothy 3 verses 14 and 15. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. At least some in the community of God's people living in Ephesus were claiming to be followers of Jesus, their words, but their behaviour, their deeds, did not live up to that claim. Instead of their behaviour building up the community, strengthening relationships, it was damaging the community, wrecking relationships. Instead of loving God and loving others, they were doing the opposite thing. They were focusing in on themselves and what benefited only them. So tonight we are exploring 1 Timothy 5 verse 1 through to chapter 6 verse 2 under the title Relationship Wreckage. When you heard the passage being read earlier, and if you're listening to the recording now, it might be good just to pause and read through uh, 1 Timothy 5 into 6 verse 2. Did you notice that Paul identified three groups of people in the church community whose behaviour was damaging their relationships and witness? Behaviour surrounding widows is found in chapter 5 verses 3 through to 16. Behaviour surrounding leaders, chapter 5 verse 17 through to 23. And behaviour surrounding slaves, chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. Now Paul goes on to explain the consequences when words and deeds match and consequences when words and deeds don't match. 
But instead of skimming across all three of these situations and circumstances, we're going to focus in just on one of them, the behaviour surrounding widows. It is here that the problems and consequences are most clearly revealed. Well, did you pick up the problem in the church to do with the widows? Look back now and skim through from verse 3. The phrase really in need is repeated three times, verses 3, verses 5 and verse 16. So it looks as if the church was trying to care for a large number of widows who were living in poverty. But at the same time, verse 16 tells us that the church was struggling to do so because it didn't have enough resources. As verse 16 says, If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them, so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Now we do not have time to debate how effective our state pension, our health care, council housing and social service provision is in this country. But none of these existed in Ephesus. The vast majority of widows in the first century had no personal means of support. So for those widows without caring families, they faced an uncertain future of poverty, neglect, homelessness, abuse and early death. And this little church in Ephesus had a problem with the number of widows asking for help. And so in 1 Timothy 5 we read of how Paul proposes a solution. In the passage we will see that Paul reminds the church that both our words and deeds matter. And that they have both physical and spiritual consequences. He starts by identifying three different groups of widows found in that church in Ephesus. The older widows who have no family, older widows who have a family who could support them, and younger widows. I'm actually going to tackle these three types of widows in the reverse order to which Paul does. So we're going to start with younger widows. Part of Paul's solution to not having enough resources to support all the widows in the church is found in verse 14a. So I counsel younger widows to marry to have children, to manage their homes. Well, I wonder what your reaction to this solution is. It might sound a bit drastic, potentially uncaring, and perhaps even misogynistic to our 21st century ears. But remember, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. The books, letters, poems, etc. in the Bible were written to real people. Yes, its message still speaks to us today. It helps us make sense of life. It tells us of God, of a God who loves us. But the original texts were written to help real people make sense of their life circumstances. So here in 1 Timothy, Paul is seeking to solve a 1st century problem, not a 21st century one. The socio-economic contexts are different. And so his solution has a context and helpfully he explains why the limited resources of the church should not be spent on these young Ephesian widows. Paul particularly identifies two issues in the lives of these widows. Some young widows want to remarry and we see that in verses 11 and 12. And some young widows are idle and busybodies in verses 13. Now when I first read this I was slightly confused. Why is Paul complaining about young widows remarrying in verse 11 and tells them to marry in verse 14? Surely he can't have it both ways. 
Well, the key is verse 12. It appears that the marriages these widows want to take part in are bringing judgment on them. Their desire to marry breaks their first pledge. Their deeds are not matching their words. They claim to be Christ followers and want the church to support them. But they are planning to, or perhaps even some have already, married outside of the Christian community. Their behaviour breaks their commitment to Christ. Well, you might be thinking, what's the big deal? Why was marrying outside the church such an issue in the first century? And it all comes back to the first century Greco-Roman household culture. Culturally, the husband was in charge of the household. Everyone in his household was meant to follow his decisions. So straight away we can see a problem. If a Christian widow remarried into a non-Christian household, they were expected to submit to the non-Christian leader of that household. And this led to an even bigger problem. Every first century Greco-Roman household had a family shrine in their house. And the whole household were expected to worship and make daily offerings to the family of gods. And it was the leader of the household, the male, the husband, who chose which gods should be worshipped. I hope you can see then the problem. It seems that some of the younger widows were willing to deny their faith, to give up their Christian beliefs, to marry people outside of the church. If young widows want to get married, Paul tells them, get married to someone within the church community. That way their words and deeds would match. By marrying within the first century church, they will receive the support of their husband's household and not need support from the wider church. By remaining part of the church of God, they can help build up the community, help others who really need help, those who have no family support. But there's also another problem the church in Ephesus faced, and we see this in verse 13. If the church supported the younger widows, then they would be financially secure and have time on their hands. This free time was leading them to become what the NIV translates as busybodies who talk nonsense in verse 13. Now it looks like these widows were enjoying discussing the false teaching that Paul has already warned Timothy about in chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. As it says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer, or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. These widows were using their free time to disrupt communal life by spreading the false teaching. Again, this group's words and deeds did not match. So by getting married and running a home, the former widows would have less time to get involved in the false teaching. So instead of disrupting the community, they would be contributing positively to it. And did you also notice that Paul tells Timothy that the behaviour of the young widows was also having consequences on how the church was viewed by the wider Greco-Roman community? Look at verse 14 again. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Non-Christians observing the behaviour going on in, are gaining a false understanding about what it means to, be fo uh, to follow Jesus or a false understanding of actually is it worth following him when the, 
these young widows are willing to give up their faith. Their behaviour is damaging the reputation of the church. It's giving the wider community more reasons to criticise the church. So Paul's instructions are seeking to both help the young widows themselves and the church community to honour God through their words and deeds. As we have seen recently in the press and on TV, in social media, people really care about how others behave. Now we know that in the early church, Christians did get into trouble and gained a bad reputation for some of their actions, even when they remained faithful to Jesus, because Christians would not worship the emperor, not offer any sacrifice to him. Christians would not join the Roman army, and Christians would not join in local religious festivals. So this passage helps remind us that there are good and bad reasons why Christians may stand out as different from their neighbours. Something worth thinking about perhaps this week. When should our behaviour in the 21st century differ from wider society and its values? When is it right in the 21st century for our public reputation to be damaged? Do we let it get damaged for the right reasons or the wrong reasons? And how do you decide when your behaviour should be different and when it does not have to be? I think it's really good to regularly reflect both on whether our words and deeds match, but also whether our behaviour is impacting our public reputation for the right reasons. Now having explored the young widows, let's move on now to the older widows who have family. Because Paul certainly has something to say about how the older widows should be treated in the church. Now for the older widows who have family, his advice is found in verses 4, verses 8 and verses 16. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Interestingly, this time Paul focuses not on the widow's behaviour, but on the behaviour of the children and grandchildren. Paul reminds the Ephesian church that within the God-given natural rhythm of life, there are times when our family looks after us, and times when we're called to look after our family. Community involves giving and receiving, sharing and caring for each other. Look at how he criticises those within the church who are not willing to support their own relatives, their parents or grandparents, in verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul complains that the words and deeds of the family members do, just do not match up. They claim to follow Jesus, but they show no love to their widowed parent or grandparent. Paul is blunt in his assessment of these people. They have denied the faith. In saying this, Paul agrees with James, see James 2, verse 26, which says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And again with John in 1 John 3, 17 and 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Right words are not enough. The Christian life must involve right actions. 
and Christians in the first century had a responsibility to care for members of their family in need. With no state help, Paul wo Paul's words are clear. These Christians in Ephesus had to put their faith into action and love those closest to them. They had to prioritise care for others. Life in the 21st century is more complex in many ways due to the socio-economic and political context we live in. But there is something that the 1st century and the 21st century Christians share. Our choices should be driven by our love of God and love of others. Christians may differ over how they choose to care for members of their family within the provisions of their own wealth and the welfare state. But their motive should always be love. So what ways do each of us choose to show our love to our own families? How have each of us chosen to balance our own resources and the resources provided by the state to love those closest to us? These resources, of course, may include time, money, material possessions, etc. Well, there's one further group of widows to consider tonight. Let me read Paul's criteria for membership of this third group. We find this in verses 9 and 10. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Well, these widows have all lived an active life of faith. They have put their faith into action. These women have spent their lives building up and supporting the community of faith, serving, caring, helping, nurturing. Through their actions, Others have benefited, both inside their own family, but also beyond. Here are women whose lives have been other-focused. They have loved God and loved others. And so Paul tells the church to return their love. Just as these women have helped in the past to sustain those in need, the church must now help them in their time of need. I love this image of community, people coming together to share and support each other sharing what they have for the greater good of the whole community. And I believe in 1 Timothy 5, Paul presents these older widows as role models to the community to be honoured for their life. By comparing and contrasting these widows to the younger ones, he is honouring their commitment to Christ. Paul is highlighting what godly lives look like. They are role models because their words and deeds match. Paul presents the first century Christian solution to a first century Christian problem. But as I said earlier, at Belmont, we believe that this library of documents we call the Bible, including 1 Timothy 5, contains God's message for us in the 21st century. By looking at how God spoke via his spirit through Paul in the first century, we can learn how to live as the people of God in the 21st. Our deeds, too, must match our words. Our behaviour should match our claims to faith. And I think this quote from Dallas Willard really helps. We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it's true. As individuals within our community of faith, we can all experience different seasons in life. 
seasons when we're able to support and help others, and seasons when we receive help from others. Why not think back over your time at Belmont? Can you recall times when the community around you has been there for you? How have you been supported in times of trouble and difficulty? How have others in the church served you and your family, perhaps? How have you received hospitality in all the diverse ways that it can be? Paul points out that these actions and others are good deeds, activities which build up the community of faith and don't wreck relationships. When we serve others or allow others to serve us, we model to others what it means to be a people of God. We help reveal what the kingdom of God looks like. We remind others to walk in faith. We teach our children what it means to be members of God's church. We may also challenge those outside of the church about their understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Yes, we sometimes get it wrong, but we know we have a loving Father who forgives us our mistakes and sin when we say sorry and seek to change. So this week, may I encourage you to pray at the start of each day for opportunities to put your faith into action. Remind yourself to look for ways to love God and love others in your particular life circumstances so that the community of God's people can be strengthened, that God's truth can be revealed, and that God himself is glorified through us. Amen.